All right, my name is Arpit. Uh, I go to church here at Restore. It's been about five years now. Um, yeah, and I'm grateful for this opportunity. Um, I've been given an opportunity to uh, preach on pride and humility. Definitely not the funnest thing to preach. Definitely not the funnest thing to invite your friends to. They're like, come, hear me preach on pride and humility. I'm going to tell you your pride and you need to repent. Uh, but that's what we got. That's what the Lord has for us today. So let me just pray real quick before we dive into this word. Um, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be postured in a way where it says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Uh, pray that it wouldn't be my words, it wouldn't be my opinions, but it would be your truth, O oh Lord. Um, yeah. Ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. So... When I was young, um, elementary school, we had math exams, just like all elementary schools. And, and I was, uh, the test was essentially like, hey, what's one plus one? What's two plus one? What's one plus two? And I would ace my test. It was the only time I was good at math. I would ace these tests, I'd come back home, I'd show my grades to my parents, and they'd be like, good job, Arpit, keep it up. And I'm like thinking like, yeah, I'm good, this is great. Second test, again, like, what's one plus one? What's two plus one? Again, it's the test. Come back home. I showed my parents the same thing, like, good job, Arpit. And then I, you know, got a little, little prideful. I was like, all right, let me go show my siblings. Don't ever do this. Uh, <laughs> I go to my sister, right? She's in high school at this point. Uh, she's doing, like, advanced calculus and things like that. I'm like, hey, look at my math score, elementary school kid. Punking up his sister, like, look at my math score. What do you got? My sister was wise and mature. She said, Arpit, careful. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I was thinking like, man, my sister do doesn't know how to celebrate. <laughs> third test, third exam. And I'm like, again, acing it. Like, going back again, showing my parents. My parents are like super proud of me. My sister again, same response. I was like, she doesn't know how to celebrate. Let me go tell my brother. My brother was in middle school. Wasn't as mature as my sister. I walk up to him, I told him, like, look at what I got. What did you get in your math exam? I don't know what he got in his math exam, but let me tell you, I probably got a, a whack on my head. Uh, and that, that's the thing, right? Like, you might think, like, man, like, Arpith had, like, a lesson in humility when he was in elementary school. But unfortunately, it doesn't end like that way. Uh, I just knew who not to tell my scores to. I was still prideful. I was still like, oh, look, look, mom, dad, uh, sister, brother, like, oh, peace. And it would have been funny if, like, the story ended there. I called my sister earlier this week and, like, hey, remember I used to do that when I was young? And she was like, what do you mean you used to? You still do that. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's the thing about pride and humility, right? Like, like, the thing about pride and humility is, like, they can be very selfishly, superficially, they can be very similar. You can look at a person's actions and be like, oh, he's being very humble. But deep in their heart, they might be prideful. Like, yeah, like, I'm not going to show off my scores to everyone. But, like, in my heart, I knew, like, Oh yeah, I was acing my test, like from a young age. Um, and we have like these very superficial, stereotypical view of pride and humility. Like when we think of a humble person, we think like, oh, this person should be quiet. They're probably wearing boring clothes. They're not going to speak up. Uh, but if that was the case, if we look in, into the scripture, then Jesus should have been saying like, I'm the worst rabbi. Don't come learn under me. But we don't see that. That's not Jesus. But he's the prime example of humility. On the other hand, if we think about pride, we're thinking someone who's lo like loud, strong, larger than life personality, 
And yet the serpent, uh, even at the garden, took the form of a snake, uh, or the devil took the form of a serpent to tempt Eve. Like, if I was the devil, I would have taken the form of a lion, man. Like, that, that squares up with my idea of pride, like, large, strong. But no, like, the serpent, again, being very prideful, still took the form of a serpent. So what is pride, right? Like, surficially, if you look at these things, they look similar. But let's see what the English language has to say. Pride is a deep pleasure or satisfaction that one gets from their own actions or the actions of a loved one or like some character that they like uh, really look up to. Um, and and in, if you think about it, like it's actually not necessarily a bad thing. Like if, if my friend does something really good, like my friend goes shares the gospel, I'm gonna be like, dude, I'm proud of you that you took that step of faith. Uh, there's a sense of joy and satisfaction in that because God feels that way about my friend and I get to be a channel to like encourage my friend like about how God feels if like your child does something like that a parent saying like hey good job I'm proud of you you are encouraging that child and it's a good thing right but if that character or that person's character or like this action becomes the only thing that um, we put our uh, satisfaction and joy we derive our satisfaction and joy from then it becomes a source of idolatry um, and that's that's pretty scary in the Bible, we see pride is expressed as arrogance, wrath, and inability to own up to our sins, feeling entitled, being an egotistic person, overconfidence, so on and so forth. So, like, again, there's so much in this topic. Um, I'm not going to go through, like, everything, everything. Uh, I'm just going to go through three stories. Uh, there are going to be two people in these, each of these stories. One person is going to be expressing a form of pride and the other person is going to show us a path to humility. My hope is through the lens of the gospel, as we're going to go through these stories, that, our, that we'd be able to dissect our hearts, that the Lord would be able to dissect our hearts, and that we'd be able to see beyond the surface, like, where are we prideful, and how the gospel empowers to be humble. All right? Um, so first story is about arrogant Jezebel and praying Elijah. So the story is from 1 Kings 16.24 to 1 Kings 19.2. We don't have to go through the whole thing, but I'm going to walk us through real quick our rapid-fire contemporary version. Uh, so back in the day, when kings were still like ruling Israel, there was this king called Ahab, and he married this woman called Jezebel. Now, uh, both of them decided to, you know, put idol worship on blast. They had this god called Baal, and so all of Israel's like worshiping Baal. Baal is supposed to be this god that brings prosperity, that brings rain. Um, like, yeah, like, this is the God that's going to, like, feed them, essentially. Elijah, this dude, comes up one day. He's like, you know what? You want to worship Baal? Let me tell you. Yahweh is God. And he says, next three years, no rain. Goes and prays, next three years, no rain. Then after three years, he goes, he challenges the prophets of Baal. He challenges the Baal worshippers. He's like, all right, if you really think Baal is God, let, let's, let's have a face-off, man. Like, good old one-on-one face-off. Baal versus Yahweh. Uh, again, they, the whole face-off was, we're going to have two altars. One altar, we're going to sacrifice, uh, we're going to uh, offer a sacrifice to Baal. Another off, uh, altar, we're going to sacrifice to Yahweh. Again, Elijah was kind. He was like, all right, Baal versus you take the first turn. Uh, end of the turn, uh, no fire, nothing, sacrifice isn't consumed. Elijah was kind man. He gives them another turn. He's like, all right, well, why don't you try again? Nothing happened. Another try. Nothing happened. Elijah then goes up, 
puts this offering, puts water on the offering, and it's like, you know what? Let me just make this hot on myself. Let, let me put water on this offering. And then he prays. The word says he prays. Fire comes down, and then the people are like, snap, like, Yahweh is God. Like, this is true. Like, Baal is not God. Yahweh is God. Elijah goes and prays after that and starts raining. He's like, three years is over. I'm going to pray that it's going to rain. Uh, crazy thing, right? And like in the story, at the end of this, you might be thinking like, man, this is a clear thing. Like, Baal was proven to be false. Yahweh was proven to be true. Therefore, Yahweh is God, so we have to worship Yahweh. Uh, but not Jezebel. Queen Jezebel, uh, she hears the story and she's like, kill Elijah. Um, in Proverbs 21, 24, it says, the proud and arrogant person, mocker is his name, behaves with insolent fury. We see uh, Queen Jezebel behaving with insolent fury. Uh, Psalms 10.4 says, again, reading from the NIV, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. Again, like we see Jezebel over here. Man, like this is like just straight up in your face, like God is God, and she, she has no room for God in her, in her heart. You know, uh, you might be wondering, like, how is this applicable to us? Um, not, not Jezebel, I'm not worshiping Baal, like, um, yeah. See, God revealed himself at Mount Carmel by consuming the sacrifice in the form of a fire. God also revealed himself at Mount Calvary uh, when Christ became the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sin. And this God, like, continues to reveal his, his will to us through his word. Uh, but, you know, sometimes in arrogance, I'll admit, I neglect the maker's truth. I don't go back to the word. Uh, I, I prefer expert opinions. Expert opinions. And, and I'll, I'll, I'm a good Christian. I'll give you that. I give God a concession. I'll tell, like, God, there are these other expert opinions. You're also an expert. You're, you also have your expert opinion. So now it becomes, hey, this is what God's word says. These are all the other things. All right, let me pick and choose what I like most, okay? Uh, but think, think, think about that. Like, the expert opinion says do, like, a pros and cons analysis. Like, not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it says, like, hey, do a cost-benefit uh, cost analysis. Use critical thinking. We have all these tools. And suddenly, like, the tools become greater uh, than God and what God wants to say for us or has to say to us. And I was thinking, like, man, like, Elijah doesn't do this. God says no rain. Uh, and Elijah, just, like, informs the king, and he prays about it. And I'm thinking, like, man, if I was Elijah, this is what I would do. I'd be like, God, thank you for this prophecy. I'm a grateful person. Thank you. Um, you're an awesome God. You, you've done things like this in the past. You've fed your people through uh, manna and quail as they, like, wandered through the wilderness. Um, but also... Before that, with Joseph, you give seven years of plenty before seven years of famine. So why don't you do something like that this time? You know, like, give like a year of rain so that, like, you know, I can, like, save some crops for myself. And then the two years of famine, like, no, 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 like, because my mind, like, cost, pros and cons, pros and cons, cost-benefit analysis. I haven't saved up enough. Like, Lord, this is what I need you to do. But like, you don't see Elijah doing that. Elijah just prays. Um, like, this, this, this really hit me hard. Because uh, I've been realizing, like, man, like, decision-making in my life has become an idol. Like, I idolize making decisions, like, very quickly, like, very professionally, uh, using critical thinking, using a pros and cons list. Um, and so, like, earlier this week, someone, like, reached out to me, like, because they wanted to make a decision on something. This is a work-related decision, uh, friends of believer. And I'm, like, like, ask this uh, person is like telling me the situation. I'm like doing the pros and cons in my head. I'm like, 
So I'm like, so this is what you're saying, so this, 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 this is what you should probably do. And halfway through that, the Lord's like, Arpit, you're like, why aren't you trusting me? I'm like, I was like, okay, now I have to pass. It's like, but you know what? I think it's best if we pray about this for like a few days. My friend's like, wise person, like, hey, like a few months back, like we were in a similar situation, like you had to make another decision, uh, but you just made the decision, like, why are you suddenly praying, bro? <laughs> like, ugh. Now you're like calling out my idol. I'm like, you know what? You're right. Like, that's what the Lord, like, that's, what, that's who I was. Uh, but the Lord's been convicting me. And it's hard. Like, it's hard to pray sometimes. But this is what E.M. Bounds has to say about prayer. Prayer makes a godly man and puts with him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, and of prayer. If we really pray, we become more like God or else we quit praying. Prayer leads us to humility. Like I said, it's, it's not always easy to pray. Um, sometimes you pray and there's silence. There's, there's seasons of waiting. Sometimes God answers and it's not the answer we like. Um, and it's not easy. But let me encourage you, uh, continue to pray because God does listen and he is compassionate. That leads us to our next story, which is about an entitled Jonah and a compassionate God. Again, I'm going to go rapid fire, arpit, contemporary version, Jonah 1 to 4. So there's the dude Jonah, um, Israelite. God reaches out to him one day, tells him like, hey, go to this city called Nineveh and tell them that if they don't repent, they're going to die. Like, not, not the nicest message to say. Jonah, Jonah like picks up his back, heads the other way. Why? Because people from Nineveh are ruthless and cruel. Like, that's what they were known for. These people would um, conquer other nations, um, put hooks on their nose, and then, like, tie, like, the people together with a chain, like, going through the nose. And so someone, and they'll make you walk barefoot across the desert to the city of Nineveh. And so Jonah's like, oh, snap, these people, like, are cruel people, ruthless people. I don't want anything to do with them. I'm not going to go tell them that if they don't repent, they're going to die. They're going to, like, torture me. Like, I don't need that. Um, Goes up, other way, Uh, if you don't know the story, he's in a ship, storm comes. Jonah says, yeah, I messed up. They throw him overboard. Fish eats him three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. Fish throws him out. God calls him out again. This time, Jonah goes. This time Jonah goes, Jonah obeys God, and um, yeah, he went, he shared the truth with the people, he went and told them, like, again, like, hey, if you don't repent, um, you're going to be destroyed. And Jonah thought in his mind at this point, like, man, I have done everything the Lord said, I've done the right thing, I have obeyed him, which he did, I've shared the truth, which he did, now God should destroy these people. Because that's what logically makes sense. Like, these are evil people. God has to destroy them. You see, Jonah at that point felt very spiritually entitled. He thought, I have done all these good things. I have, like, kept my end of the deal. Now God has to keep his end of the deal. Uh, Story goes on like this. God did not provide the outcome that Jonah desired. Uh, The people of Nineveh uh, were spared. They repented, and God relented. And... Why? Because uh, God is compassionate. And I want to take a step back right now and like, kind of like shed some light into God's compassion. Oftentimes, when I think of God's compassion, I think of God as a nice God. Like someone, like, you know, I'm walking to a store and someone 
a nice person opens the door for me. So God, when I think of God's compassion, that's what I think. Like, oh, I'm walking somewhere, God opens the door for me. But it's so much bigger. You see, uh, God's compassion is, like, the fact that he interacts with me blows my mind. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Like, if you've ever cooked a meal, you've made something, um, but you don't go back to the meal and be like, oh, meal, you're the best meal. Oh, I put so much effort into you. No, you like eat it and you move on and you cook another meal. Like, but not God. Like, God like made me and he didn't just move on. He's like, all right, Arpit, I made you. Like, cool, you're doing your thing. I'm going to do my thing. No, like, he is so intimately invested in me. That just blows my mind. No, God didn't say, uh, like, um, oh, you're struggling. Oh, you're in sin. Too bad. No, 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 no. He just doesn't open the door. He made the way for us to be made right with God. Uh, that, that's God's compassion. So, like, if, if, if my, my view so far has been like, oh, God opens the door, like, I'm, and I've been, like, challenged by this bigger view of compassion, I would encourage you, like, man, like, let's just feast on God's compassion as we go through the story, as we go through the sermon. All right. So, again, like, Nineveh is destroyed, going back to the story. Um, Jonah's frustrated, Jonah's upset, but guess what? God interacts with Jonah, again, an act of his compassion, um, and God explains why he relented. He tells Jonah, like, hey, man, these people don't know uh, right from wrong, like, 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 how can I, like, how can I not? And you see Jesus having the same heart uh, in the New Testament when he looks at his people and, look, and he, it says, like, man, they're like sheep without a shepherd, and, like, Jesus had compassion for them. Uh, that's God. That. God has compassion for us. Sometimes, you know, like Jonah, like in my spiritual entitlement, I forget God's compassion. I can either go one of two ways. I can either despair. If I forget that God is compassionate, then I'm like, is the Lord nice today? Is the Lord kind today? Is the Lord moody today? Like, I don't know where, where he's at. Uh, and then I, I go into despair. I'm like, man, like, Oh, this is the worst. Like, I become self-centered. Like, look at what the Lord has done to me. Look at what life has done to me. And it all becomes about me. Or I can go the other way, and I can be like, all right, I, like, messed up. The Lord, like, punished me, so I'm going to, like, work up my, like, way back into the salvation scale. Uh, I'm going to start doing all these good things, and it starts becoming all about, look at what I have done for God. Look at what I have done for God. Look at what I have done for God. And good deeds are start getting measured, like, oh, like, Two years back, this is what I did for God. But now I'm doing so much more. Like, like two years back, I was only giving X amount of money towards God. But now I'm giving so much more money. I'm giving so much more time. Look at how much I'm doing for God. A good words uh, start looking like wages soon. Um, and I'll tell you why I say that. Um, see, when, when we get a wage, when we earn something, we start priding in ourselves. Let's say I like save up and buy a drum kit. And I'll be like, man, I like saved up for so long and I dreamed of this drum kit since I was like this, this years old, whatever. And it's been like a long time coming, but I finally didn't. Look at how sacrificial I am. Look at how like diligent I've been. It all becomes about me. But see, that's, that's not the gospel. When you, spiritual entitlement is an anti-gospel state of mind. You see, when we're talking about wages, the Bible has something to say about wages. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but it doesn't end there. 
it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, when you think of the gift, you no longer like pride in, in like yourself. You're not gonna say like, oh, I earned this gift. Like, doesn't make sense. When you get a gift, you're either praising the gift, you're like, oh man, my brother gave me this drum kit. Look at it, isn't it the best? Like, like look at the, it is so shiny, it is so nice, it sounds so great. You're all about the gift. Oh, you're all about the giver. Like, man, my brother is so kind. He like knew what I wanted, he knew I was dreaming, and he like gave it to me on like whenever, like my birthday, something. Uh, but it's no longer about me. It's either about the gift or the giver of the gift. And that, 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 that often is not me. Oftentimes, I'm not thinking about my gift of salvation. Uh, oftentimes, I'm priding in what I've done for the Lord. Uh, it's always about me. And it's not about God or, or salvation. But, but, when we truly understand and experience that God in his compassion is giving us a gift of salvation, there's no room for entitlement or selfish pride. Here's a quote from a commentator, and I hope it helps us kind of discern the posture of our heart. Spiritual t uh, pride tends to speak of other sin with bitterness or with laughter or an air of content. But pure Christian humility, rather, tends to be silent uh, about these problems or speak with them with grief and pity. Spiritual pride is very apt to suspect others, but a humble Christian is most guarded about himself. He is as suspicious of nothing in this world as he is of his own heart. The proud person is apt to find fault with other believers that they are too low in grace and he is quick to note their deficiencies. But the humble Christian has so much more to do at home and sees so much more evil in his own heart and is so concerned about it that he is not apt to be busy about others in his heart. He is apt to esteem others better than himself. Again, uh, Proverbs 26.12 in the ESV says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Like, yeah. When we, when we truly, truly understand and experience God uh, in his compassion, for his compassion, and like understand that salvation is a gift, there is no room for entitlement or selfish pride. But again, like, it's not always easy to understand that God is compassionate. It's not always easy to remember that he's a good and kind God. So, so, so what do we do when we don't understand that? Well, we obey and surrender. And that's, that brings us to our last story. Um, we have an overconfident Peter and an obedient Christ. So again, this is from like Mark 14, 24 to Mark 16 and John 21. We're going to rapid fire around again. Uh, Jesus tells Peter uh, before he's crucified, he's telling Peter, or before he's arrested, telling Peter and the disciples, like, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me thrice before the rooster crows, crows twice. Ah, that's a tongue twister. Uh, but Peter, right, like, he's a great friend. He's, like, he's a person of character, so he's, like, super confident in his character. He's saying, like, Lord, the others might do it, but not me. Like, pff, what are you, crazy? Um, and Peter, like, actually lives up to this character. When you see, like, when Jesus is getting arrested, Peter's, like, there for Jesus. He's, like, cutting slashing the high priest servants here and, and all that. Um, but also, as the story progresses, just as Jesus prophesied, Peter does deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows twice. Uh, 
And in this very intimate moment, Jesus' eyes and Peter's eyes connect, and Peter's like completely undone at that point. Uh, he is so undone. As a matter of fact, like post-resurrection, Jesus risen from the dead. He meets the disciples. Peter like has seen him at this point. But Peter's so undone, he goes back fishing. He's like, man, enough with ministry. I'm going back to what I know. And that, like, I mean, we have the saying, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Peter was so overconfident in his character that when it was undone, it was a deep, deep blow. Uh, Romans 12.3 says, um, again from the ESV, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, uh, sometimes overconfidence is masked as fake humility. Um, I think I can do something better, but, but my fake humility will not let me tell people that I, I can do whatever. But then if I see someone else who's been like, um, who's being called for the same task, that's not me. Suddenly I'm like, like how dare they? Like, why didn't they ask me? Like suddenly all this like mask of humility just crumbles because I'm just so overconfident that I can do this so much better. Uh, and I've seen that in my own life. Like, like I was applying to come to the US uh, and I remember like going to a Bible study in India. So this is in a Bible study. A fellow brother's like, oh, I applied to XYZ University and I got in. Uh, praise the Lord, and everyone's like, wow, we're so happy for you, and in my mind, I'm thinking, like, if you got in, I'm getting in for sure. And I, like, remember going back and applying halfway through, like, the Lord convicting me and being like, Lord, I can't do this without you. Like, like if I'm going to apply waiting on my own strength, this is not going to happen. Other times, we are mistaken, uh, we, 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 we mistake, like, God-given victories in our own lives, uh, habits and patterns of sinful behavior that God is, like, helped us overcome. We think that's us. Like, we become confident that there's no way I'm going to stumble. Uh, and this has, again, been a pretty humbling humbling season for me. Um, like, going back to, like, how pride can be wrathful. Um, when, my, when my pride is, like, pricked sometimes, I tend to lose my cool. Um, and I was thinking to myself last... 2021, I was thinking to myself, like, man, it's been about... Three, four years since that's happened, it's not going to happen again. Uh, lo and behold, um, I have a misunderstanding with my dad. It's all like like me yelling at my dad, my dad being like, why are you even yelling at me, bro? Like, I ain't coming at you. And then I'm just like feeling miserable. Um, a year has passed, 2022 now. I'm thinking like, man, it's been a year. Like, there's no way I'm going to lose my cool. Like, I can communicate calmly. And still, yes, yesterday, just yesterday, as I'm like discussing the sermon with my wife, I lost my cool with her. I started like raising my voice. Uh, and in my mind, I'm just trying like, I haven't raised my voice enough. It's still a good level. Um, this, this is fine. This is fine. Yet I had to pull over and be like, hey, I forgive me. I, that wasn't right. And like the Lord was convicting me so much like, you thought you moved on from this? No, bro. Like you, without me, you're still there. You can't be overconfident about this victory. And in the same story, we see Christ. Just as how Peter was overconfident in his character, Christ just obeyed the Father. Christ displayed absolute humility. How do I know this? Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Have this mind amongst yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought 
who though was in the form of God did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born of the likeness of men and being found uh, in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, obedience is a willful surrender of my will to the will of God. And we see Christ doing this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he says, like, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Surrender is often, in our society, in our day and age, it's seen, seen as a humiliating thing, but also consider that humiliating and humility have the same root word. You see, the resurrected Jesus going along in the story, uh, he meets Peter and he asks Peter, like, hey, do you love me? When Peter says yes, Christ three times says, like, hey, feed my lambs, uh, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. And that's, that's true for us today as well. Like, the gospel demands a response. The gospel demands a surrendering of our lives. So why? What about the gospel, right? Like, how does the gospel help me in all this? So listen to what Tim Keller has to say. Um, the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads me to deep humility and a deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I do not have to prove myself to anyone. I do not think of myself uh, more or less of someone else. Instead, of, instead, I think of myself less. You know, humility didn't start with us, it began in heaven. So let's look to Christ for humility, because we did not invent it, Jesus revealed it. Uh, we lift ourselves up, Christ stepped down. Nothing is too good for us, nothing was too little for him. We make ourselves a big deal, Christ made himself nothing. We measure out our righteousness through small steps of obedience and like trade them as brownie points to God. No, no, Christ, Christ truly obeyed to the point of death, even death on a cross. Proverbs 22.4, the verse that we read, says, The reward for humility and, um, and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Um, so humility and fear of the Lord go hand in hand. Therefore, humility and wisdom also go hand in hand. True riches and honor and life is Christ Jesus and is in Christ Jesus. If you've not experienced this, if you're still priding in your like good deeds, if you're still measuring out your steps of obedience, and if you're still like trusting that your good deeds will cu uh, cut it for you, I, I just want to take us back to Romans six twenty three. The wages, if you're like priding in yourself and your good deeds, that's your wages, man. The wages of sin is death. But again, verse doesn't end there. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you want to receive this free gift, if you truly haven't surrendered your will to God's will, if you haven't surrendered your life to God, uh, meet with me or one of the pastors. We'd love to talk with you through that. Uh, if you have surrendered your life to God um, and the Lord is convicting you today, just want to encourage you uh, that we'll have a prayer team at the back. Even right now, you, there's a chance for us to respond in prayer as the Lord is compassionately convicting us uh, to surrender our will in obedience. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because as we believe in you uh, and obey you and as we surrender our will, Lord, your compassion is made real in us, O oh Lord.
that things that break you would break us, oh Lord. That we wouldn't, Lord, uh, be prideful and entitled and trust in our entitlement, but that, Lord, we would be trusting you, O oh Lord. Lord, I pray that, Lord, um, even as, Lord, our hearts are, Lord, uh, challenged and, Lord, uh, even, Lord, confronted by the Spirit today uh, in ways that we might be prideful in our own lives, I pray that, Lord, you would move us to, Lord, continually just keep surrendering ourselves, O oh Lord. Because the self wants to put the self on blast, but Lord, help us to put you on blast. And in the light of that, help us to, Lord, humble ourselves. I ask all this into his precious name. Amen.